1: Welcome to part two of our lovely chat with Alok. If you've not heard part one yet, please head back to your feed and find that first. Have a good old listen and then come back for part two. But if you've already heard part one, it's on to part two, which starts with us chatting about the unbelievably brilliant Shitsqueak.
2: It's interesting that show, I think, because it gets so much better. It kind of Mm -hmm. elevates from being a a sort of a fun family out of water thing into dealing with a lot of issues about gender and sexuality in a really tender and kind and loving way Mm -hmm. Uh, through uh, uh, watching a family deal with all this. Well, I thought it was, I thought it was, it was kind of a revelation to me how you can take a sort of a structure of like a a sitcom Mm -hmm. and have it be such an important tool in many
0: people's education about Mm -hmm. issues Mm -hmm. they would never would have dealt with. So I think the only identity that I've chosen for myself is Ernest. (laughs) <laughs> the gender sexuality, what I read about, but earnesty is so important to me. And what I loved about that show is it was just so fucking earnest. Like there are just so many moments where I was like, oh my god, this feels yeah. so nice and like happy. And I, I, yeah. I think that's really where I'm at, especially in the work that I'm creating right now. Is I've spent a decade trying to convince people that there's this violence happening, and that's happening. But the joy of being non binary is I've been able to actually relish in simultaneity. Where there is violence and oppression, there also is such profound beauty and resistance. And mm. if I'm not as fluent in articulating my joy as I am in articulating pain, then I'm not alive. Mm. And so mm. I'm really shifting mm. the way that I speak about my experience now because it's not, I think in the beginning I was just, I was furious. I was angry that I moved to New York. I grew up in Texas. I dealt with this shit in the past. I wanted to like be accepted, move on. And then there I was in the progressive city and it, it wasn't working. Like it, I wasn't safe and I was angry. But then I started to realize this becomes a lens with which I filter all my experiences through, which is that people hate me. Whereas if I suspend that story and I open up to other things, there's actually been so many amazing encounters. People come up to me and ask, "Why do you? why are you wearing that? And then I'll say, because I like it. And then they'll be like, oh, okay, cool. Like there's mm-hmm. so many great mm-hmm. moments that I never allowed myself to be like, I might've just changed someone's world or someone yeah. saw me and might've just said, wait, that's possible or permissible. They're not, those people aren't gonna come up to me in the moment and be like, hey, I'm just unlearning my 25 years of socialization <laughs> into the gender binary. And seeing you has made me buy my first heels. Those The people who are gonna be responding to you immediately are the people who are not in their higher consciousness. And so what I'm saying mm-hmm, about the right. silent majority is part of what I do to justify going outside, because going outside is an act of resistance for us as gender non-conforming people. What I do is I say, I'm going to transform potentially thousands of people today. And these people are never going to say thank you. They're never even going to be able to articulate to me in this moment, like, I've never seen anyone like you. I thought I had to shave my entire life. But that doesn't matter because the reason that I'm a cultural worker is because culture can't be quantified. I can't say, I checked off 10 boxes today. I changed these many minds. It's more amorphous and ephemeral and that it actually makes it a situation where Harry Styles can be on a magazine wearing a skirt. That only mm-hmm. exists because of street drag queens and the legacy that we yep. come from of screaming queens who were criminalized for this shit, thrown into prison and yep. still get beaten and abused for it. We deserve credit, of course, but also it's about knowing in myself my power. And I think that what homophobia and transphobia and racism did is they made me feel like I was lacking power, but I actually have done the reframe to be like, the reason you're so pressed with me, the reason that this administration is so concerned with trans women immigrants is because we're so powerful that in our mode of living is something that challenges their authority So I'm not going to dignify them by thinking that I'm weak or that I'm not necessary. I am foundational to this country. And it's Mm -hmm. taken me a long time to say that, that like I am intrinsic to this culture
2: that's so true and that's so about that's what we were talking about earlier about why i was like why is it that all these old white guys are so obsessed mm-hmm. what's what's their problem with you know like the whole bathroom thing in north carolina mm. and that all that stuff you know and like come on, what what is the big really let's just try and break it down here and i think you've really put the the nail on the head um but also like talking of i'm really also uh, i wonder if you find this like you know coming from britain and living in new york and you know when you consider right now the sort of situation in america politically and sort of socio-politically the idea that in britain they are so kind of behind america in terms of the the way that people deal with transness mm-hmm. and the whole you know the whole thing of and nothing right now what mm-hmm. what do you think that's about I'm, I'm really intrigued about why and especially all these you know, about tariffs, these educated yeah. feminists who are have these quite, to me, really offensive opinions and, and they just can't seem to be able to accept and be kind and think that someone else deserves equality. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really intrigued about why certain parts of, our, of different societies have a blockage about it. And why do you think that is, mm-hmm. with a special reference to Britain right now?
0: Right. So I think a lot of people don't know this history and I always try to do my part to teach it which is that the gender binary or the idea that there's just two genders, male and female, man and woman, and that these are mutually exclusive so that there's no interlap and that they're opposing is a recent historical phenomenon that emerges because of Western colonialism. So mm. in most indigenous cultures across the world, there's a recognition of multiple genders. There's an ability to be both. And there was not this kind of polarization, but then what happened is, mm is that the British in particular, and I I read a lot about the history of the British Empire, needed to basically find a way to groom the British race towards civilization, so to being the most advanced civilization in the world. So what you see in the 18th and 19th century is race scientists essentially define gender roles for white Britishers as binary and mutually exclusive. So a good British white woman was married, monogamous, and a reproducing agent, so a mother. A good British man was fighting for the people, uh, was going and colonizing, was bringing back money, resources. Women were emotional. Men were rational. So a lot of these stereotypes that we have were actually seen as science in the 19th century. There were so many studies published to be like Hmm. black people and brown people, they're too uncivilized to actually be men and women. Only British society can have men and women. So what we're seeing with TERFs right now is they think that they're being radical, but in fact, they're just being Oh, colonial. actually, we,
2: can we just explain? Sorry to interrupt, Alok, but I just mm-hmm. thought we should probably, in case anyone's listening and doesn't know what TERF yep. means, So would TERF, you just tell us?
0: Yeah, TERF, T-E-R-F, stands for Trans Exclusionary Radical Feminists. These are self-proclaimed feminists who believe that only women who are assigned women have a space in feminism. At birth, And that trans women are, quote, men playing dress up and that trans men, quote, are actually their sisters. So they basically are anti trans. But what I've tried to reframe in my work is that there's nothing radical, nor is there anything feminist about this position, that actually this is a conservative movement that is more invested in racist pseudoscience <laughs> than liberation. And that actually from,
2: from the colonial days because of the way that to make a sort of a better system for the empire to function. Yep. And it's also,
0: it's just patriarchy because it's defining women by reproduction. Like, I'd like to think that we move beyond that sexism, that the achievement mm. that a woman has as giving birth or being a mother, that we can have a more complex idea of womanhood. And it's also opportunistic, right? Because when cisgender women, and cisgender is a term used to describe people who identify with the gender that they were assigned at birth, when cisgender women, say, get mastectomies or are unable to give birth, they're not disqualified from their womanhood, right? Mm. But when it mm-hmm. comes to trans people, the sort of arbiter is, can you reproduce? And and Mm -hmm. I think that goes to what I was saying before about the importance of energy over anatomy. I also feel like in the West, there's a crisis where it's so awkward that people define themselves from their bodies, that the body equals truth. And therefore they're able to make this equation, like I am because my biology. I'm like, that is so unambitious that I feel sad because Mm -hmm. actually in the cultural traditions that I grew up with and around, we have a recognition that there's so much that we don't see on earth. We are connected to the environment, to the world, to nature, that this idea of being a self-contained flesh bag of a body is actually the very system that's gotten us this coronavirus pandemic. It's a kind of individualism and aggressive competition with one another that doesn't understand our mutual enmeshment. Like what I really Mm -hmm. want, and, and I take a lot of inspiration from nature, queer ecology for me is saying nature only works If all of its components are there, if nature only works, if every species of if if the wildfires actually are a part of the way that nature reproduces itself. Right. When it comes to animals and nature, we understand that diversity is essential for ecology. How come when it comes to people, all of a sudden we're like every person needs to be the same. Mm. The reason that we have the crises we have today is because we expect humanity to be like a sculpture. When actually the joy of being alive is that we burp and we have stomach groans and we tremble and we have body hair and we're fat. There are parts of us that are not interchangeable. And so I think mm. that for me behind turfs, yes, there's the political history. Yes, there's the racist pseudoscience. But there's a deeper energetic question, which is, do you know who you are outside of what you've been told you should be? Mm. And I, I'm willing to bet. That many white people and many cis people don't, and that the reason right. that they persecute racialized people and trans people and especially those of us who are trans people of color so much is because they're like, oh my god, you know who you are without me, I don't know who I am without you. Hmm. That's so interesting. Because so much of what Britishness has been has been saying, we're not savages, we're not savages. So much of what cisness is being saying, we're not queer. So much of what heterosexuality is saying is, no, we're not these like licentious gays with their profligate lifestyles. They only know who they are by saying, I'm not that. And I don't need right. to define myself by its traits of society. I say, I'm a loke. I don't need to say, I'm a man, I'm a woman, I'm a whatever. I say, I'm a loke. And that challenges an entire system that mm. requires you to be a category that they've predetermined in order to be real.
1: We were talking a little bit earlier about the, the concept of like the privileged are the most fragile like Mm -hmm. because nothing has been challenged nothing Mm -hmm. about them has ever been challenged because they haven't and they haven't had to think through any part of their existence because it's opened up before them
0: absolutely and that's why i I mean i i will really say this is the first time i'm articulating it publicly but it's something that i am feeling very much when i was younger going up in texas i wanted to be white i wanted to be straight and i wanted to be cis and now at the other side of my healing journey I would never give up on the joy and the gift of my queerness. And to view our queerness as like a blessing has saved my life because for so long, I thought like, oh, I just, it'd be so much easier to fit in. But then you begin to realize conformity is not community. These relationships that these people have, they're not real. They're based off of illusion. And fear as well. And fear and fear. Whereas the relationships mm. we build with each other are built off of surviving a pandemic, are built off of like having to share healthcare resources because we don't have access to them. So I trust my queer and trans people in a way that I don't know straight to society knows how to trust. Mm. They mm. default into mm. fear. Whereas for me, I know what community feels like. I know what it's like to be able to call my friend when someone's following me home and be like, I'm afraid. I know how to say Mm. I'm afraid. I know how to ask for help. These are all things that have liberated me from Western individualism. And Western individualism is actually what's killing us. It's people not wearing masks and instead wearing blindfolds and not seeing what their government is doing to them. But Mm. queer and trans people are able to blow the whistle and be like, no, 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 no. The world that you're saying right now is a fear mongering world. Let me bring you to presence. And when Mm. we look at presence, We see each other not for what we could be, but what we actually are.
1: Mm.
0: Wow. That's so
1: great. (laughs) And you you talk a a bit about the history of gendered fashion as well, which I thought Mm -hmm. was fascinating. And I wanted to ask you, like, you know, earlier you just said, I'm a loke and that's that, you know, I don't, I, I don't have anything else to say beyond that, let's say, but I wondered because your clothes are so fucking amazing. Like, Do you have muses? Do you have people who you go back through history and look at and think,
0: that's what I love? Totally. So what a lot of people don't know is that fashion only became gendered recently within the Western world. And that a lot of what we perceive as women's wear or feminine, like hair, long hair, wigs, makeup, heels, leggings, were actually worn by men historically. Mm -hmm. Um, But then as part of this, pseudo-scientific attempt to create the binary, which was a political and cultural choice, not a scientific fact, dividing billions of people into one of two categories is not sanctioned by science, that actually almost 3,000 scientists in 2018 released a statement saying there's no biological basis in the sex binary whatsoever. So they're speaking as if it's science or nature, just in the ways that they spoke about justifying slavery through science and nature or justifying Mm -hmm. genocide through science and nature, they will opportunistically use science as a way to justify and legitimize their fascist agenda. It's not science. Mm. That actually, what I'm trying to do when I say degender fashion is I'm trying to say we should be able to determine what clothing means to us. So for Billy Porter, wearing a dress is an extension of his masculinity. For maybe a cisgender woman, that dress might be a celebration of their femininity. For me, it's just about expressing my love of color and fit and texture. We can hold that simultaneity and that actually mm. the, the customer should be able to determine what that means to them. So degendering fashion for me looks like, I think it's irresponsible for any fashion company to say men's clothes or women's clothes. I, I, I just don't, I, I think you're presuming who should be wearing those clothes. Mm. And I think what we need to do is say, show me how you're interpreting these clothes yourself.
2: Yeah. Do you know that? Um, well, it's closed now. The store, but the fluid in New York. Yeah, right? they're great. I love those people. They were the f- world's first non-gender conforming mm. clothes store. I might be wearing fluid pants right now. Oh. Um, well, go on, show us. <laughs> it's it's uh, some baggy black pants. <laughs> but what I think, what is really strange to me, and it's still, I. I still fight against it. That say I'm in a shop and I'm looking at things and I'll suddenly go, oh, this is the women's rack. Mm. Mm. And I'll be sort of like, oh, oops, oops, I've done something wrong. And actually think, well, why not? Why am I, you know, why, why do I, if I like this thing, why can't I wait? It's not that I'm And it's also, you know, for me, it's not, it's purely just, it's probably just something like a sort of like you would keep. so What do you call it again? Not leisure wear, Chris. What do you say? Oh,
1: lounge wear. Was that it? A- lounge <laughs> like,
2: wear. Which like. But no. And, I, I, I love.
1: love like this is you know this isn't a massive transgression whatsoever. But like I love it when you take something to someone in the store and you go, "Have you got this in a bigger size?" And they're like, uh, "That's a woman's And I'm like, "Right, yeah." yeah." I like <laughs> totally. it. Yeah. End of story. Where do you love to shop a loke? Who do you like?
0: So I design a lot of my own clothes, which is really fun. Um, but then when I am shopping, I love secondhand shopping. I think that's a relic from growing up in Texas, where I would always mm-hmm. joke and say, "These Thank racist was- grandmas aren't going to invite me over for dinner, so I'm just going to wear their outfits posthumously." <laughs> <laughs> so growing up in the South, you just get access to like such glamorous stuff, like hand-me-down. Yes. Like I just, I love big shoulders like that's always I I love dramatic sleeves and big shoulders and they just don't make clothes like that anymore it's so heartbreaking so I just find these like Tennessee is one of my favorite places to shop Salt Lake City Utah is amazing and so one of the joys of being a touring artist is I am often Mm -hmm. just in random places across the world and I make it as part of my itinerary in any place I'm doing a gig is I go secondhand shopping. And so I Mm. I just have pieces from all across the world. And a lot of what I'm doing with my fashion is like, oh, I got this in Nepal. I got this in Kyrgyzstan. I got this in. And I'm able to tell stories through bringing it together. And I think the reason fashion is so important to me is because you know not everyone is going to listen to this podcast, even though they should. Not Mm. everyone is going to read (laughs) my poems or follow me on Instagram. Even though they should. Even though they should. (laughs) But when I walk down the street, everyone has to see my fucking outfit. And so clothing (laughs) becomes the way that we can express the things that we think and feel everywhere.
1: Oh my God. I so, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but I so agree. And I, like, this isn't a new thought, but like, I don't think people talk enough about how fashion is language. Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely how Mm. you communicate everything about yourself in a room. Like how often do you get, you know, people look each other up and down and even about the stupid you know even an office like is it the right white shirt and it's, all,
2: it's yeah, such
1: yeah. it's language it, it totally is
0: mm-hmm.
1: actually what's been interesting
2: about the covid thing is that for so many people it's been this kind of they've had to step back and they don't have that pressure of having right. to decide what to where how am i going to look at the world how i want the world to perceive me how am i also i'm not going to be judged in that way right. um and i think it's been this and so i think that's why people have kind of gone back into i well actually i found it really interesting because i've i've basically worn pajamas but on the occasions that i haven't i've really thought about what i want to wear it's much more considered now mm. and i'm actually quite looking forward to that to going back into my life like actually christy did i tell you that you know that people that the oliver spence oliver spencer oh, yeah. oliver Spence oliver spence i yeah. called him yeah because he's basically this designer that makes basically like suits that are like pajamas it's like pajamas but like kind of swanky yes and i've decided that you know when i have to go back into my oh hi i'm on the red carpet blah 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 i'm
1: going to wear him oh no it really it's so good you're reminding me of two things alan one is that (laughs) i remember standing on the bottom of the staircase in our family home when i was a kid and i was every morning i sang memories from cats from this book oh my
0: god (laughs) and and i used it
1: I've heard that story before. You bet it that. I one. used to sing memories every day, and then I would wear every day. All I wanted to wear was like a tracksuit, so it would like sweatshirt, sweatpants. Mm-hmm. And I remember turning to my sister and my mum and saying, "I'm going to wear this forever." And just you watch me, and they were like, "Christopher, you can't! Like when you grow up, like you'll have to go to work and you have to wear things, and you'll want to wear other things." And I was like, "I absolutely will not." Trust me. And actually, since lockdown, I have managed to live. And what I, the prophecy has come to?
0: I'm so proud of you. The perfect life. But I haven't,
1: I haven't sung cats in years. But you, you said a beautiful thing, Alok, which was, well, is it beautiful? It was. It really struck me. You said the the days I feel most beautiful are the days I feel most afraid. And I mm-hmm. and I, I wondered, if because of lockdown, maybe that's changed.
0: Yes, it's changed so much. So I've been wearing the shortest mini skirts. I've been wearing <laughs> yes. the tightest dresses because I no longer have to worry about people throwing trash at me. And mm. that has been so fun because, you know, when I started uh, presenting more traditionally feminine, I would be more modest because I noticed that like if I showed chest hair billowing out of my dresses, then more people would be upset. And so I think I was holding myself back creatively because I wanted to wear these like really fun, like falling off of your body, like blouses, you know, Mm, but I was just mm. afraid. And so what I really have started doing during quarantine is one of the things that I ask myself all the time is what would I look like? What would I think? What would I feel if I wasn't prioritizing fear? Because I think Mm. fear kills creativity. Mm. Fear kills imagination and so, what I've really allowed myself to do with my fashion is to just dress for me. And it's been so empowering. I just take photos after photos after photos of myself. I literally just in the mirror all the time, like, oh my God, I look so great in this mini skirt. Ah! So. <laughs> who- I feel like one of the sort of post-quarantine takeaways for me will be that I'll just be wearing mini skirts all the time. It'll be like negative 10 degrees in New York and I'll be out there <laughs> in a mini skirt and thermal leggings making it work. You
1: need to come you need to come to Newcastle in britain oh because that's any time of the year in newcastle
2: that's the thing there that people like i i remember once years and years ago the royal shakespeare company always does a stint there and i was on tour there, and i i'd heard about this sort of thing it's about that people wear the girls wear like it's freezing it's on the north sea it's Mm -hmm. freezing and in the dead of winter girls wear tight like no tights tiny little little uh mini and a little sort of bra top and the boys wear like shorts and things you and do a not wear a coat
1: no matter what that's the rule so Chris, no. you were asking no. me
0: who my fashion inspirations were and i just have new ones i have paper vegetables <laughs> and now i have Newcastle. these new castle so to
1: contribute oh my god <laughs> because yes.
0: truly when i first moved to new york i was stupefied because i went to college in california i grew up in texas i was in warm places and then during the winter, I was like, how do you be fashionable in the winter? Like, this is, I was like, winter is the most homophobic season there ever was. Like, I don't want to have mm-hmm. to wear this drab, ugly, gray coat. Like, what? And then you'd be at the club, and there'd be all these cute people. And I'm like, how did you dress like that?
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: then over the years of living in New York, I have learned the sacred femme secrets of maintaining fashion integrity throughout the winter. I'm not going to share them right now, because um, we have to, they're, they're secret. Oh, you t- oh I was. What I now, this past winter, was able to pull so many looks and people were like, how are you not cold? And I wasn't, genuinely was not cold. And I was like, this, I felt like Sailor Moon. Like, I was like, this is a glow up. Like, this is.
2: <sighs> <laughs> is it is it, to, is it to do with undergarments?
0: It's creative undergarment, creative layering. It's about knowing uh-huh. where to shop to not to compromise color. Like when people ask me what I want my legacy to be. I mean, there's many goals that I have, but one of them. Is to change the connotation of winter wear with black and gray. Are you? Fu- it's you're already oh, depressed. Totally.
2: Oh, I'm with you on that. Especially yeah, when yeah, you're yeah, in absolutely. the UK,
0: it's already gray outside, sweetie. It's cold as hell. <laughs> of course, y'all colonized the entire world because you were looking at each other in gray, being like, "Well, it's miserable over here." Add some fuchsia. <laughs> Honestly, if I could just add some fuchsia, some neon, and it's going to be warm. It's going to be warm thermal oh. fuchsia neon. It's yes. going to change the world, truly. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm,
2: oh, I, I just think all these, you know, when there's all these different, like these parkas and things, and, you know, when you're in a film, you have a coat that you wear on top of your costume to, to go to the set with. Yes. Mm-hmm. I call it my co- cozy coat. And it's always like some drab old blue thing.
0: Okay, and so you know what if I'm you about, ever uh, want to collaborate in the future, the way that you just said Cozy Coat was so cute. And I could totally <laughs> see my fuchsia fashion line under that name. So just let me know. Cozy Coat. Have, yeah. Oh,
1: I love that. Yes, I would love that. It's so funny you say that, Alan, because like whenever I'm on set and like there's always this thing of like the actors always wear these enormous long puffer jackets and they're black and they're always like a bit Horrible. torn and stuff. And I'm like the amount of megastars who wear that coat, like – surely someone should design a nice one because they'd all want it i know it can be part of our loungewear range Ella. i mean
2: we've got a big future our, what, you mean cozy coat the, the company that we're all going to form the three of us
1: <laughs> what about um do you know uh, sonia reichel the designer
0: i don't
1: she always very sadly died recently but she always did the most amazing fuchsia pink like massive trench coats and knitwear her thing was knitwear but like i'm gonna
0: look this up
1: so colorful winter wear like like really long scarves and loads of colors and she was like a 60s icon i think
0: it makes winter tolerable, wow. honestly, because mm. there, there, there were one too many polar vortexes. And I was like, I, I need to leave New York. I can't deal with this. But then I got my knitwear together. I got my my snarky sweater wear <laughs> together. I got my colors together. And mm. then I was like, I can deal with this, you know? And it's yes. also like, yes. if you're going to cover your entire face with like a huge scarf hat, it's about a bold lip. So just put like a mm. neon green lip and then everyone's smiling and then the winter is more bearable.
1: <laughs> totally. Did you
0: design what you're wearing today? Will you talk us through your look? I did not, unfortunately. I'm sorry to disappoint. Um, oh no, this it's still is just, great. This is just one of my tiny tight dresses that I've been wearing during quarantine, so maybe that's aligned with what I was saying before. Just a practical zebra print, just <laughs> tight body hugging. <laughs>
2: And what are your what are your earrings? Is that is that cherries?
0: No, these so these are what made by that? Indian artisans. Um, it's oh. this really amazing company. I, oh my god, the name is slipping me right now. Embarrassing. But they work with Indian craftspeople and make these beautiful earrings.
2: Love you, pink. Gosh, look at cherries. Look at me. It's like plus paper vegetables again. We're <laughs> back to that. <laughs> when a loke does the range? When, when did you move to uh, uh, New York, I look
0: That was 2013.
2: So. I'm just curious, I mean, I kind of think I know the answer to this, but so that was towards the end of uh, Obama's second term. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious, but I certainly felt a big difference. Oh, in such a difference. Even, yeah, since Trump came in, like, I, must, I mean, I heard stories of people, you know, being, uh, obviously the hate crimes have spiked hugely, but I heard people, you know, on 14th Street, someone's calling... Someone a faggot, and some my friend got punched, and Mm -hmm. you know stuff like that. You wouldn't think this is New York, downtown New York City. So I can't imagine what it must be like for it's a lot. The the trans, yeah, one of the stories
0: that I like to tell about this is actually, you know, Jacob Tobiah, Jacob and I were walking. Oh, I love Jacob. Yes, yeah, and we were just walking. We were coming back actually from the Out One Hundred party. It was in Mm -hmm. Hell's Kitchen, and we were walking back to the subway. And it was right after Trump got elected. And then this man screamed at us, "Grab!" him by the pussy which i thought was like oh. such a, f- a fascinating oh formulation because it was wow. like misgendering <laughs> us hilarious. but then still saying pussy but then it was so obviously trump inspired and then it was like on the precipice of all this and that's when i realized mm. like okay my life is just gonna change like really this is gonna be very different um hell's kitchen wow okay
1: mm, yeah which is such a queer part of new york we should say yeah for, yeah Since Mm.
0: then, I feel people feel emboldened to express what they had already felt. So I don't believe that it's new. I think that people Mm. just feel like they have permission to say the things and do the things that they had always repressed. And I also feel the same, though, when we're holding simultaneity, that people also are more likely to defend and vocalize their support of things. So. that's good what's also been cool is of uh, that same day this was such an eventful day we got on the subway and then this person came up to us and said i just want to let you know i support transgender rights he's not my president i was like Yay. i was like okay yeah, like, i'm great. just sitting on the subway right now like thank you so much but i also wow. feel like people have been more expressive in their solidarity and in their support and more challenging the bystander effect and actually saying like oh okay there's a hijabi next to me on the subway i'm going to make sure that they feel okay or oh okay Mm -hmm. like there's a police Mm -hmm. interaction right here and there's a lot of black people i'm just going to stick around with my camera to make sure there's a kind of sense of like when we don't have faith that the powers that be are going to protect us we have to protect one another and so that's what i've loved about being in new york is that even though you're seeing some of the most like cruel unruly formulations you're also seeing some of the most profound testaments of solidarity i mean there was literally a self-defense training coalition between muslim women and trans women and i thought that was like so amazing on basically like how do we learn how to protect ourselves and one another and there's that commitment now to people being like okay who are vulnerable bodies on the street and how do we make public space safe for all people i don't want to lose that commitment like i want us to actually recognize that we're only as strong as we are together And that especially when it comes to the queer community, like, people need to learn their histories to understand that it was only screaming queens like Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson, whose unapologetic, flamboyant visibility facilitated the kind of entry of gay men into mainstream culture. And now gay men have to pay it back and actually say, like, no, I'm not just going to support drag when it's in a bar I'm gonna support yes. expression of queerness wherever I am, because mm, queerness belongs yes. everywhere. We can't concede to the idea that queerness can just be in a bar, in a club, on a stage, on a billboard, and, and doesn't come out
1: show. doesn't come out at night, you know, or right. doesn't happen on the margins.
0: Right. Right. Mm. And I think especially when it comes to the UK, for people listening to the UK, I think this is a, a particular problem in the UK. Is they're mm. okay with gender nonconformity in stage kind of contexts, where mm. it's like a funny joke. And then straight to society could be like, ha, ha, ha. But the minute it's like your teacher or next to you on the tube, then it's like you're pushing the envelope too far. And what I really want us to actually say is there is no envelope. We're not pushing an envelope because it doesn't exist. Babe, return to sender. You set this to the wrong (laughs) damn address. There is no envelope. Stop trying to circumscribe the potential of being alive into like a fishbowl. I am the ocean. I'm not a freaking fishbowl. Like yes. we've conceded to straight people's assumptions of what our livelihood should be. That's not liberation. That's reform.
2: Mm. Uh, look, this you're great. I just loved he, uh, listening to you, and uh, I I love how you've we've we've sort of kind of caught you at a moment in your life where you're having this kind of sort of wave of positivity about everything and it's i hope so that six months from now i'm
0: not like i was a, I, I was completely <laughs> delusional my i'm meds sorry were off yeah oh. <laughs> to, but yeah i genuinely feel like my life is changing so i'm glad to have spoken to you at this oh. time like i just genuinely feel like my purpose on earth is to inspire and catalyze joy and to actually let people know that healing is possible Because a lot of people dismiss me as naive or idealistic because I think that we can heal the world. But I just genuinely believe that the queer story teaches us that we can go from wanting to die from like literally finding ourselves to be disgusting and derelict and irredeemable of love. And then to actually say, I am worthy of love. What could what could that mean about how we could change the world? Like if Mm we have transformed ourselves in one lifetime How could we transform the world? And and I think a lot of queer people stop at their own self-healing, but I want to encourage queers listening to be like, template that with the world. Look at the misery around you and see that as unprocessed grief. I don't believe that trash exists because trash is an ecosystem for life, that there's actually Mm. something redeemable in everything because that's what queerness taught me, is that I thought that I was marked for death and yet I made a life out of this death. So nothing is full of trash. So uh, when
2: people throw trash at you...
0: Yeah, I'm like, I'll accessorize this. Thank life. you so much. <laughs> yeah. If it's fuchsia pink, we can make it work. Absolutely.
1: <laughs>
2: wow, that was amazing. Amazing.
1: Well, we've come out of it learning a lot, but also with a whole new business plan.
2: <laughs> a whole new business plan for a new business. Look, coming soon. Cozy Coats. Yes. But uh, I just, I actually, I think that's so amazing when you meet someone... Because they were obviously at this a big change has happened yeah. to them.
1: So lovely, wasn't it? And,
2: uh, absolutely. Yeah, and and such
1: joy. Yeah. They've got such joy because of it. The So incredible. The joy and playfulness that they have found and sought and created in returning to their hometown and you know you could you could stay indoors and say it was shit and no one understands you and i don't like it here but instead they've just gone let's have fun with it and pretend to be butch on the phone to the gym instructor and then (laughs) turn up with your nails and do the gym and so many levels it's just like they make life look fun you know what i mean
2: yeah yeah it was really so inspiring and and joyful and you know what's uh, giving me joy go on right now christopher that i just had a visitor at the door did you hear us a knock at the door there i did hear that and i got a presence i got presents i've got (laughs) i've got a bottle of oh yes it's a oh oh i see because we're having a zoom oh my god we're having a zoom cast party tonight oh crumbs I'd rather. I mean, yeah, I just sort of think. But there's a delicious bottle of perfectly um, cool for that. Oh, uh, nice. Well, mate, well that'll get polished
1: do. off. Well, long before I the Zoom think those parties.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think those those Zoom parties where there's lots of people. Everyone just shouts. Do you know what I mean? It's just like everyone shouting to be heard. When, do you remember
1: you when to... lockdown started and everyone started doing? I was like, no more than four people. Absolutely no oh, totally. way. It's just otherwise. It's... And
2: Then there's birthday. It's just screaming, and I've got another person.
1: And also, didn't you notice how people always used to accidentally get cut off at those Zoom birthday parties? Like, oh, I've done hey, that. guys, lost my connection. Uh,
2: yeah. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> Pro, my, my, um, my present oh, is... Oh, what's the second one? S- the s- scripts. Oh, that's not, a, that's not and a present. A, and a yellow, a, a yellow highlighter to do my lines. I feel like Elizabeth Taylor. Do you know that I saw this thing and she said that when she was a little girl, she's just like... And, you know, like a workhorse. She was in all these films and all these films and Mm. all these films. And and she said, and you know, when I finish a movie, if I did, if it did really well, my prize would be another script. (laughs) I always remember that. Wow. Poor old Liz. So there's me getting my
1: gift. Yes, that is. Six scripts. Goodness. A lot of lines.
2: Anyway, that was so fun. I I actually didn't expect that to be so joyful. And I think that's really, uh, you know, I should, uh, I slightly thought it was going to be more earnest about the whole topic of gender, nonconformity and things like that. So that was, I I, that, I, I learned a lesson too.
1: To know, I suppose it's just choosing the path of joy, have fun with it. And that's a decision. And I feel like a lot of the people we're talking to at the moment are coming at that from different, from different angles. And it's really inspiring. And, and it's a wake up call, isn't it? To just remember, yes. remember.
2: Totally. I mean, it's like I say, I, I have I have great access to darkness, mm. but I choose to stand in the light, and I think yeah. that's what um, Alok is doing right now. And it was lovely to be to witness it. Really was. Let us know what you thought about Alok and us and um, our new fashion
1: line idea, uh, yes. ladies and gentlemen, and those who don't define us either. Topic of the week, listeners. Next time we're talking about moving in together and what that does to your relationship some studies say that moving in together can ruin your sex life and we want to hear what you think about that do you think that moving in together ruins your sex life have you had similar experiences or on the other hand have you moved in with your partner over lockdown for example and found that it's been great and has brought you closer together and maybe it's improved your sex life we want to hear both sides of the story and we want to hear from you we're also going to be talking to dr karen gurney who is at the sex doctor on instagram she is an inspiration an absolute lifeboat of a person so please get in touch at homo sapiens on instagram send us a message or send us our very very favorite a voice note and by writing to us at uh, hello at homo sapienspodcast.com. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts if you want to win a free Homo sapiens t shirt. Given that we're about to become wow. international fashion sensations, if I were you, I That's would head right. over. There.
2: Uh, thank you.
1: One day we'll be giving away cozy coats. Wouldn't that be great? As worn by Rihanna on the set of her latest music video. <laughs> Listen, you've got to dream big if I've learned anything off a loop. Oh, absolutely.
2: Um, so that's it We'll see you next time And I uh, hope you all Have a lovely week
0: Lots of Take love Take care Brush your hair Bye. I'm serious about Cozy coats
2: y'all <laughs> Okay me too Yeah let's do it
1: Powered by Spirit Studios